If you have your scriptures, open them to uh, Psalm. Uh, we're going to read Psalm 127 today, as we've been doing through the summer here, going through the Psalms of Ascent. And now hear God's word. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is a vain, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, our children are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. This is the word of the Lord. So through the summer, we've been doing this series on the book of Ascents, or the Psalms of Ascent, that are collected in a, in a section of the larger book of Psalms. There are 15 of these, 120 to 134. And these Psalms are uh, basically songs. They're poems. They're, uh, they were either sung or chanted. We don't know exactly. Probably not anything like the, the Western music that we understand today. It would have been very different. But these were used by pilgrims as they made their way to Jerusalem. And they would go up into the city. Jerusalem was built on a hill. And they would go up to the city. And all through their journey, they would be singing these songs. We don't know exactly how they did, if they sang them in order, as we've been going through in the summer. We've been going through in order. But, uh, or they may have just been singing them randomly. We really, really don't know. So the context of all these 15 psalms is pilgrimage. And I told you last week, all human beings are on a pilgrimage. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't even matter your age. We all, innately, inside of us, we know that we're making a journey of some kind. If you don't believe in God or you're not sure about God, maybe you're an atheist or agnostic, I understand that. But even the, the most cynical humanist who thinks there's nothing except what's here and now, even they know there's some sort of a journey that we're making from, at the very least, from life to death. We're, we're born, we make this journey, and we die. There's no such thing as not moving as a human being. We're conscious of it. We know that we're going somewhere. And so religious people, people of all different faiths, have believed a lot of different things about that journey. And Christianity has its own uh, ideas, the ideas that we get from Scripture. And this psalm is one of those. Very familiar, most of you uh, who've been Christians for any length of time, you've probably heard this uh, psalm. And so we're going to look this morning at this familiar psalm, which is unusual in the, con in the collection. There's no prayers, there's no, uh, uh, no statement of praises and stuff like that. And because the psalm is attributed to King Solomon, there's a, a sense in which the psalm is like a proverb. In fact, I think you'll see. It's an observation. In other words, Solomon uh, is stepping back and he's 
He's giving us a picture of what we're looking at. He's telling us, here's what you're seeing on your journey, on your pilgrimage. You should be aware of these things on your pilgrimage. Fascinating. So he says in verses, this first part, we're going to look at three things basically. Building or a pilgrimage, making that building or making that pilgrimage of faith, you can do it in vain, you can do it on purpose, and finally, you can do it for the glory of God. And so we're going to look at those uh, three things. That will maybe be a helpful outline to you. Look at the first two verses. Verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build labor in vain. Look at the words and how they, how, how they parallel one another and keep you focused. Unless, conditional statement, in vain, vain in the Bible means that it's empty, meaningless, restless, unfulfilled, unsati- insatiable. You're not satisfied. It seems like you're just running on a treadmill like they put those poor gerbils and gerbils and things in these cages and they run on that wheel and they're just running. And I think human beings can feel like that. So you're just running and what's happening? A little money goes into the bank, more money goes out. And, you know, it just doesn't seem like you're getting anywhere. That's what it means to labor in vain. The second phrase. Look at it. 1B. Unless the Lord watches over the city. First he's talking about a house, now a city. The watchman stays awake in vain. The watchmen were these fellows that stayed up all night and uh, they would be watching out through the, the city to see if there was any ruckus, any crimes, anybody out that shouldn't be out. Uh, much like policemen today patrolling, seeing what's going on. Those guarding the city are guarding it in vain. It, that too is empty. It's useless. What's the point of them guarding? Because the threat is still going to happen, whether they guard or not. Look at the first part of two. It is vain that you rise early and go to work or go, go late to rest. He's talking about work. So you're building a home. You're building a city. You're rising early and going to work early, going home late. He's talking about our life, building a life. Some scholars think uh, that the house he's talking to is the house in Jerusalem, the, uh, the temple. I'm not sure that's it. It didn't, doesn't seem to ring true, but I think what the, what the psalmist is saying is each pilgrim, on your pilgrimage, here you're making your way, And most people, I think a lot of people today, simply react to whatever's happening. They're not thinking. They're not what what we call today mindful. They're not being mindful, paying attention. There's no intentionality. There's no planning, no future. How many people have a budget? How many people live, you know, according to some, some rules and dictates? How do they figure things out? Or are you just moving along and whatever happens, you react to that and then you keep going the next thing, next thing. The psalmist is telling us that in your pilgrimage as a believer in God, you're to be moving with intent and with purpose. 
There's a creation, what we call in theology, the creation mandate. Have any of you heard that phrase, creation mandate? Okay, the creation mandate is the, the mandate that God gave to Adam and Eve to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth. That was their mandate, to go to work. Not to sit. We think that the Garden of Eden was um, maybe like a tropical paradise and that uh, Adam and Eve were just laying out on the beach. Of course, they're naked. Really cool. No tan lines. And they're just lazing around and having a great old time. That's not the image in the ancient Near East. The image in the ancient Near East of a garden would have been a place where there was a a bit of water. They were in the desert, so it would have been like an oasis, a place where they were to build and to plant and to grow food, especially trees with uh, fruit on them, fruit trees and vineyards and things like that. Be fruitful. Make a place where we can live, where you can live and where others can live in prosperity, in peace, with beauty surrounding them. This is set against chapter 11 of Genesis where the people decide to build the Tower of Babel. Tower of Babel, they gave the reason why they were building the Tower of Babel. Listen, to make a name for what? For ourselves. We're going to build the Tower of Babel to make a name for ourselves. We're just a, few, just a page or two before that. God had given them instructions to build or fill the earth with His name, His image, the image bearers, those of you and I. That was the creation mandate, to go out, take what God had given them in the Garden of Eden. You see, Eden was a region of the ancient Near East. We don't know exactly where it is or where it was, but it was somewhere there in the Middle East. And in that general region of Eden, God planted a garden. And in that garden, He placed this this people, and He said, be fruitful. Now extend the garden out into the land of Eden, and from Eden, out into the world. That was their mandate. And folks, that mandate is the same today. Jesus told His disciples, go into all the world and do what? Make disciples. Teach them to follow My commandments. What did He tell Adam and Eve? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and don't eat from that tree of knowledge and good and evil. Same thing. I mean, there's more details, but it's the same. It's the same pattern that we see. Listen to what uh, Eugene Peterson, we told you we've been using this book of his, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Highly recommend. Anything Eugene Peterson wrote is just, he's a modern or was a modern uh, contemplative, a person that was just one of these kind of aesthetic, a monk, you know, monkish. He was a brilliant pastor, Presbyterian pastor, and just wrote some beautiful stuff. Listen to what he says about this. The greatest work project in the ancient world, he's talking about the Tower of Babel, is the story is a story of disaster. The greatest work project ever devised by humankind, Tower of Babel, 
is a story of disaster. The unexcelled organization and enormous energy concentrating in, concentrated in building the Tower of Babel resulted in such, listen, such a shattered community and garbled communication that civilization is still trying to recover. Fascinating. I have on my phone Google Translate. How many of you have Google Translate? Okay, so you don't want to say that you have it. That's all right, I understand. You don't want to admit to having an iPhone. You don't want to admit to being on the iPhone inordinate amounts, sinful amounts of time. Uh, because it's all in vain, you know. <laughs> if you're spending, I mean, I got in this really bad habit of opening the news app every morning, you know, after I do my prayers. In fact, I cut my prayers short so I can hurry up and go to my news app. And I start doing, what do they call it? Doom scrolling. That's it. You also doom scroll. See, there you go. One honest person in church today. I, I, I sit there and I just zoom and looking for stories that catch your eye, right? And you click on them. What's happening today with the Kardashians? Let's see. Uh, you know, oh my gosh. And, and I, had to, I had to stop my, I had to literally stop because it's, I mean, it's okay to look at the headlines, but after a while, you know, after the second or third hour of TikTok or whatever, Instagram, and you're just, it's in vain. Do you see what the, the psalmist is saying? Our life, we're building a life here, folks. We're building a house. We're building a home. We're building a city, a community. We're building, but it's in vain unless the Lord builds a house. Listen to this. There's... There's two extremes of building, two extremes of work. One is this idea of Babel. Babel does this. Listen to me very carefully, because I know this personally. I was a workaholic. I thought that if I became a pastor, I would be less of a workaholic. I got worse. And you're just working, working, working. I didn't know how to stop working. I could never rest. Marty V would like to go on vacation. She would say the word vacation and she would automatically start resting months before we go on vacation. <laughs> just the thought, just the idea. She would start to rest and relax. Vacation for me, what do you think it did to me? I was freaking out. And the day we're leaving, I'm freaking out. The whole time we're there, I'm worried about work. And when we get back, it's overwhelming because, of course, things pile up. And so I was miserable. I've been miserable for 68 years. <laughs> I mean, think about it. for You know, in vain, in vain we work, we toil. Babel deifies work. It makes it an ultimate end. And it's nothing but naked human effort. That's what Babel represented. Naked human effort. Only here and now matters. Think about our world around us. Right now, everybody in our culture, this is very uh, familiar in our culture. Right now, only thing that matters, you've got to get as much as you can now, have as much fun as you can now, gather as much. We don't want to miss out on anything. That's why we scroll so much because we might miss the latest thing or the newest thing or the tastiest thing, whatever it is. We don't want to miss anything. We want to get as much as we can 
Because right now is it. There's nothing else. When you die, you die and that's it. You're gone. There was a church in Thessalonica that did the opposite. They deified sloth. So sloth is laziness, lazing around, you know, doing nothing. And this was because they had adopted a position of what you could call super spirituality. This world doesn't matter. We don't need to work. We don't need to do all we need to do is pray and go to church. In fact, we should all camp out at church, be at church, do everything at church, only hang around with church people. Church, 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 church. And so if there's, if it, Dawson and I have talked about this. If we program something at church every single night of the week, some of you would never miss. You know who you are. We know who you are. We do not want to see you every night of the week. We don't like you that much. We don't want you to see us every night of the week. Because you wouldn't like us every night of the week either. You see, there's this super spirituality, and they refused to work. They were just laying around, waiting for Jesus to come back because he said he was coming back. So they said, look, here and now, and you know Christians like this, here and now doesn't matter. It's all going to burn. I gave Gary a little pamphlet, the old pamphlet that I found from years ago. Turn or burn. Was it Spurgeon that wrote it? Turn or burn. Repent or go to hell. Really great. I wonder how come... I can't get away with preaching that kind of message. All right, listen. That deifies life. Here and now doesn't matter. Only there and then. This psalm is, is not at all directing us to make our pilgrimage with that mindset. Does here and now matter? Say yes. How much does it matter? 100%. Does there and then matter? Say yes. How much? 100%. How do you know? Because of the resurrection. The incarnation. The life of your Savior Jesus in human flesh. Not a spirit, not, a, not Superman, just a person like us who could have a toothache, who got splinters in his hands, if you were, who had blisters, who, who knew pangs of hunger, who had sense of shame because of his background and questions about his birth. We're not sure, you know, who's your father, who's your daddy. We don't know who your daddy is. And all these things are in Scripture, and you know that he grew up with this kind of, with this kind of atmosphere around him. He understood internal, external pain and shame. And because of that, we know that your life now matters. What we do matters. Our work matters. The beauty that you create. Look around our church, these beautiful paintings. Why do we have those paintings? Because they're beautiful. They don't serve any p purpose. They don't have a message. I mean, maybe if you looked at it long enough, you would say there's a message, but... I know Dave, he didn't paint those with some deep, you know, philosophical method, did you? No, he just sits at the easel and he paints with beauty. Ramey the same way. I mean, there's stuff inside of us that's just beautiful for its own sake. Music. 
for its own sake. Amazing what God has given us. Unless the Lord builds, unless He's in what we're doing, it's vain. Stop and think about it. The older you get, the more you know that, man, this is like sh- so short. The time, it's like a breath. It just went by so fast. And here I am. I'm, I'm, I'm at the end. Maybe literally at the end. What is building a life? A home, a house, a city, a community if the Lord is not in it, unless the Lord builds, you're building in vain. What about building on purpose? Like this psalm is actually divided in two parts, if, like last week. If you have a pencil and you're inclined to do these fun things, you can, I'm saying they're fun, you may think they're stupid, but I think they're lots of fun. Uh, you can circle the little two phrases. Eating the bread of anxious toil... And for he gives to his beloved sleep. Do you see that at the end of verse 2, before verse 3? Circle those two, because they actually form the center of this psalm, the way the psalms are designed, the center phrase. And the two halves of the psalm, 1 and 2, are looking at, they're looking at each other like in a mirror. This vain effort, working, struggling, toiling, unless the Lord builds a house and over against it, he, he kind of jumps into this weird thing of building on purpose. The, the idea, remember, this is a poem. Poetry can do things that prose cannot. So he's got this poem going on here, and he takes the second half of the poem, and he uses it to reflect the first half. They're looking at each other with this, these two phrases in the middle. One is toil, one is rest. Okay? It's beautiful. Don't have time to... The only way you could really get into this is in a Bible study or in a Sunday school class where you could really break the whole thing down. So I'm trying to go fast and give it to you quickly. Uh, But understand that he goes from building in vain unless the Lord builds a house to building on purpose, which is 3 through 5. Look at uh, verse 3 and and 4 and 5. Children are a heritage from the Lord, a reward... Like arrows, now he's using a a metaphor, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, blessed is the man who fills his quiver uh, full of them. He's talking about progeny, offspring, children. He's literally talking about children, little ones, babies, like we were talking about earlier. But there's more. Why do we know that there's more than just that, that raw, literal meaning? It's because it's a poem. And what do poems do? They, they're elastic. They stretch things so that you can fill the, the, the words with more stuff, more meaning. There's, uh, I don't know if any of you have heard, there's a, uh, this movement that, I don't know, it's been going on for a long time, but, but some years ago called Quiverful. Any of you heard of that? You heard of Quiverful? Uh, this is what Christians do with this kind of stuff. We, we just have a propensity to take things out of context, okay, and make a pretext. In other words, we take it out of its context and we make a pretext. We say, well, 
God is telling us we should have as many children as we can. Huge families. And uh, there's a, there's a uh, thing on, on Prime right now, Amazon Prime, have any of you seen it? Shiny, happy people. Any of you seen that? It's very disturbing, very shocking. And I, I Marty V and I were talking about it this morning. That was, we were caught up in that stuff ourselves when we became Christians. We take something that God is saying and we make it into something He's not saying. He's not saying have as many children as you possibly can. He's saying that children are a reward, a blessing. If you have a lot of them, God bless you. If you have none, God will bless you. There's still fruitfulness. In other words, the metaphor, the reason why these things in in the poetic genre are so important is because they are elastic and they they prevent us from becoming so literal that we make them into something that if you don't have children or you don't have a lot of children you're disobeying God or you're not being blessed by God and that's not at all what this psalm is saying He's talking in the first half about production of the the kingdom of God, the extension of God's house, God's city, God's people out into the place that he built for them. And in the second half, he's saying, how do you do it? You do it with people, with children. Children, whether they're your biological children or not, Biological children are the, are the basic meaning, the literal meaning, but there's also more. They're simply being productive. Why do we call people to church? Why do we, why do we try to evangelize? I don't want to convert somebody into believing something that's, you know, just force them to believe. But why do we bother telling other people? We tell other people, look, you can tell anybody at your workplace, wherever you hang out, believers, unbelievers, but if you know somebody that's not a Christian and you have a chance to ask them, what is your, are you, is your life meaningful to you? What does it mean? What's the meaning behind it? And what the psalmist is saying is there's lots of meaning. Children are a heritage, an inheritance. Children represent, what do children represent? They represent fruitfulness. In the scripture, there's another theme. There's a theme that runs through all of scripture. The barren woman and the fruitful woman. You all remember Hannah? You remember Sarah? You remember Rachel? These women could not have children. And it was agonizing. It was agonizing for them and it was agonizing for their community because if you didn't have children, what would happen? Your name, your glory, your memory, you could not pass into the future. See, they weren't thinking about resurrection and coming back from, you know, being raised from the dead and all that. They were just saying, how do we fulfill that creation mandate? How do we move God's creation forward the way He wanted it moved forward? Will you have children? 
And you have friends, you have a city, a community that you're calling together. Maybe they're not your biological children. And you're, you're calling them to join you in the work. Instead of building the Tower of Babel, you're building something else. You're building a family. You're building people. In Psalm 128, the very next one, he says that a father is sitting at his table and he's looking around at all his children. And what is, the, what is the metaphor? Do any of you know what the metaphor that he uses? What? What? Olive shoots. That, that he's looking around the table at his children and they're like olive shoots. Well, what is an olive? It's fruit. It's something that was essential to life. In the ancient Near East, you had to have it. You had to have it to eat it, to make oil from it, to get light. That's how they made light. They put it in lamps. They lit the lamp. It had light. Do you see the, me- the beauty of poetry? It's incredible. And whether those children, those people around the table, maybe some of them were from another family, kids you invited over, somebody you adopted, or maybe there's two, three families there having dinner. And the father, the, the, the head, the representative that's there is looking around and he's saying, look at this fruitfulness. This will last. My bank account won't last. The house I live in, I'm living in a house that was built the same year that I was born. And we are both deteriorating. At about the same rate, it's going to be a race to see who ends, who dies first, the house or me. The house will go, the car will go. My, my truck wouldn't start yesterday, the battery's bad. Think about it, folks. But I can look at my children and my grandchildren, or I can look out here at you, our friends and family who are so gracious. Thank you for the beautiful tribute you all paid to Marty V and I for 20 years. 20 years is like this. Right? That's how fast it is. And Richard Pratt, one of my professors in seminary, said that that people will remember you only two weeks after you leave the pastorate. You agree? See? Thank you. That's what I'm talking about. He was always that way. He was always being negative, and he, he was like Eeyore, you know. Everything's gone terrible. Uh, no, we remember, but look, even the ones with the best man, how many, how long can you remember? Maybe two, three generations? And the further you get away, the less and less it is. Building on purpose, building with intention. Building what will last. Investing in people. Children, our, our little guys. Shame on us for not volunteering for the nursery. Yes, say amen. Come on. Oh, that's weak. You guys are something. Shame on us for not investing on the, in the children. To, to hold one of those little ones, that is something that will last. Yes? You, you get the idea. That lasts, other things don't last. Okay. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, they are the, 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 the power, the, the... Dennis Rainey put it this way. Our children, don't think just metaphor, uh, 
biological, although this is directly what he's talking about, but it's more than that because it's a poem. Our children are messengers that we launch into a future that we will never see. That we will never see. My granddaughter, Alia, she's nine years old. Uh, she told me uh, this last summer, she said, uh, she calls me Jiddu, that's Arabic for uh, grandfather. She says, Jiddu, I want to be a priest. I said, well, honey, that's good. You keep stay in the Episcopal Church. Uh, that's where they were. <laughs> Don't come in. You're not going to be a PCA minister, but... You know, at that moment, I don't believe in ordaining women. We have our reasons. Maybe they're not good reasons. But anyway, for my granddaughter, I'll suspend everything. Yes? For her. If she becomes a priest and she's preaching, I'll go hear her preach. Just don't want anybody in Presbytery to find out. But I will go and hear her preach. Look, folks. Continuity continuation, legacy. This is what the psalmist is getting at. You can build in vain, but if the Lord builds his ho- our house, it's going to be something different. It's not going to be a physical structure. It's not going to be something you look at that's here today, gone tomorrow. No, it's going to be something that he intended from the beginning, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Derek Kidner is one of my favorite uh, commentators, a wonderful scholar. He says this, God's gifts are as unpretentious. And he's talking about the gift of children, but he's also, as he did in his commentary, he's saying there's more to that. There's, there's adopted children. They're children of relationship that you have. Uh, pastors to their flock, the flock to their pastor. They're these interconnected relationships that are familial like a family. You with me? Listen. God's gifts are as unpretentious as they are miraculous. The two halves of the psalm, verse 1 and 2 and 3 through 5, are neatly illustrated by the first and last paragraph of Genesis 11. He's referring back to the Babel narrative. Where man builds, listen, man builds for glory and for security. Why do we build our wealth, build our portfolio? It's for security. Man builds for glory, for a name, security. To achieve, here's what you achieve, a fiasco. It goes away. You can't hang on to, you can't be buried with your money. You can, but somebody's going to dig the money up and leave you there. Listen to this. This just blows my mind. To achieve only a fiasco. Whereas, listen, this is just... God quietly gives to Terah a son, Abram, whose blessing, whose blessings have proliferated ever since. The seed, that Isaac the child of promise, proliferating and filling the earth, all the earth. God told Abraham, all the earth is going to be blessed through you. How? Your progeny. And Abraham had more children. He had children by 
uh, Hagar, his, the maidservant, Ishmael, who got, the, a whole nation came out of Ishmael. And then he had a bunch of children through his third wife, Keturah, and most of the Middle East Arabs today can trace or like to trace their lineage back to the sons of and daughters of Keturah, the third wife of Abraham. So if you're into anthropology, that's something you can look at. Children represent fullness, multiplication, and continuity. Children, listen, and this is the point I'm going to finish. Children represent faith in God. Yes? Whether they're your biological kids or not. Children represent faith in God because they're going to go somewhere where you're not going to go. They're going to be somewhere where you're not going to be. They represent your faith in God. And in our day and time, you all know, our modern people are very cynical about having kids. You know that, right? And the statistics are amazing. And I ask somebody, why don't you want to have, well, we can't afford them. Uh, we're going to wait till we complete this degree or we have this much money in the bank. Not bad ideas, not, not necessarily bad. But I've had people tell me we don't want to have kids. We don't want to bring them into this terrible world. Really. Anyone that says that, folks, I have to tell you, you don't know what a terrible world is. You've never lived in a terrible world if you say that. All you have to do is get in your car and drive for 20 minutes and you can see a terrible world. Yes? 20 minutes from here, you can go see a terrible world. But when you're sitting in Starbucks with the iPhone and the computer and all this stuff and you're telling somebody across the street, you're drinking a $5 cup of coffee and you're telling somebody, I don't think I want to have, I don't want my child to grow up in a world where there's no polar bears. That's so cynical. There's no faith in that, folks. There's no sense of a creation mandate to fill and spread and take over the world for the glory of Jesus Christ. So how do you do that? How do you build or live a life of pilgrimage for the glory of God? It's in 5b. It's in the second part of verse 5. He's talking about this same person, this builder. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. I wish I could spend more time with that, but I can't. His enemies in the gate. In other words, this world of conflict. We are going to be as Christians, as the people of God, as the people of ancient Israel and Judah were, always being hammered by the nations around them and being uh, sometimes militarily threatened or what have you. They were always being, they were always enemies of somebody. The gate of a city was not just the entryway, it was the place where business was done, it was where their courts of justice were, it was where you would go to, to do business or to hear uh, uh, a, a, an accusation against somebody. And he's saying this this person, these, this man, this woman, whose eyes have been open to the eternal value of your life, of propagating, of building, of spreading, of filling the earth, biologically to be sure, if you can, 
great. If you can't, there are other ways. But you're, you're, you're thinking of the creation mandate. You're pushing out to create a place where God's glory can flourish and be seen. It's just remarkable. That person shall not be ashamed when the enemy is criticized. See, look, look, folks, let me put just real quickly. I know we've got to finish. The fruitfulness of our life is the answer that we present to Satan, Shaitan, the accuser of the brethren. Our life is the answer we give to Shaitan when he is accusing us before God. Look at those worthless people at Christ the King. They don't do anything. They're sitting around all the time. They just go to church to get the donuts. You can, you can put, say before that accusation, you can say, no, here's my answer to you, Shaitan. I believe in Jesus. I'm trusting Him. My life, I'm going to be fruitful and I'm going to put the fruit in your face. Do you see that? Your trust in God, your fruitfulness, your desire to follow Him, even if you sin and you repent, that still makes God happy. Your whole life is pushing back, as Rick, our brother Rick, when the ruling elder says, pushing back the thorns, pushing back the darkness with effort, building something that will last. A city, a home, a house community and the only way you're going to do it folks is if you remember these words the disciples were very worried because Jesus said I'm going away you're going to look for me but you're not going to be able to find me and what did he tell them I'm going to prepare what a place for you. And I'm that place. In my Father's house, there's many rooms. I'm going to prepare that, but I'm going to make that place accessible to you, a place where you can go. Because if we're building in vain, we can't go there. There's nothing. But He is a builder. Our Lord Jesus is the builder of all builders. And He's built a place. And He's prepared it for us. And He is inviting us to build and go with Him. And then we're going to get to the place. He's going to bring the place down here to this earth. Will you trust Him? I hope you will. Father, thanks uh, so much. These are beautiful words. Help us to fulfill those words. And the goodness of your creation and your plan to have us spread the glory of our Savior to all the corners of the earth. We pray in his name. Amen.